Welcome into In Focus here on News Radio KMAN. Raise my mic up so I can actually speak into it, right? Nick McNamara here in for Brandon Peoples, and we have a cool show for you today. Uh, before I talk about our guest in studio with us, later in the episode, we'll have Manhattan Public Library in to talk about their upcoming annual book sale. We also have the Rotary Club's Community Action Against Human Trafficking group coming in to speak about their conference coming up on Thursday. But first, we have with the Sunset Zoo a couple different folks here. Regular face, Marketing and Development Officer Melissa Kirkwood, thanks for being here. Good morning. Good morning. Happy to see you. Yeah, it's been really busy at Sunset Zoo, but we love that. And we had a windy weekend, but that's okay. It was still a good weekend. Very good. Very good to hear. And it was, certainly was windy. You were, As we were walking in, noting uh, my complexion is a little wind burned, perhaps. Um, it's just something that happens to me quite often. But, um, you know, I'm sure you can manage it at the zoo pretty well. You have some good enclosures there to make sure the animals are all good. And I imagine all of the attendees were happy too. Yes. We had Earth Day this past Saturday, uh, Party for the Planet. And we had um, about 80 volunteers that came through the day, but we had lots of families. And I feel like we got, we didn't get snow, but we got a lot of the other seasons <laughs> through the day, but that was okay. We just really appreciate everybody who came out on Saturday too. As long as we just stick with one season, I think we'll be, we'll make it through. Yeah, let's do it. Not going back and forth, but <laughs> we'll also bring into the conversation curator of education, Jared Bixby. Jared, thanks for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Good morning. I always appreciate having you out here. And we're going to talk with Melissa a lot more about both Party for the Planet. Um, in the past, we'll look back at Expedition Asia's unveiling and also Mother's Day activities coming up. But first, we have, as we're entering May, well, maybe not entering May just yet, about to. I'm looking ahead. My birthday's in May, so I'm already planning ahead. But um, <laughs> as we begin to look into like deeper into spring, summer, uh, education, and summer activities become very important topics, especially as you're looking for things to do maybe when school's out. Yeah, exactly. We've got lots of stuff going on at the zoo this summer. Um, our summer camps, um, right now we're, we're actually almost full with every week of our summer camps. Um, but we do have wait lists and, you know, some families, will their plans change. So if you're still looking for, for summer options for kids, um, you can still sign up for the wait list and, and get on that and, and we'll let you know if those spots come open. We've got birthday parties that are really ramping back up. Um, we've had, you know, about two years where they've been um, a little slower, but the weekends are going fast. So again, you know, if you're looking for a birthday party at the zoo or something like that, um, definitely look ahead and start planning that now because there's a lot of time spots that are that are going. So um, those are definitely some things that uh, that we need to keep kind of look on the horizon. And uh, when you're talking about summer camps, always important to note that these are week by week arrangements. You sign up for a week and you don't necessarily have to go the whole summer. You can pick one program that you really like or one program you have a particularly open week if there's availabilities, of course. Correct. Yeah, we've got each week is themed differently. So we've got families, we've got kids that'll be there most of the summer. And we've got uh, families, kids, we've got uh, grandkids that are visiting grandparents in the town in town, and, and they just come for one week. And so yeah, you can register whatever fits your guys whatever fits people's schedule. And it works out pretty well. Jared, tell me about Science Fest. What what exactly is Science Fest? And how long have you all been in uh I guess, uh, programming that at the zoo. Yeah. Um, so the Kansas Science Festival um, actually started uh, April 20th and goes till uh, April 30th. And we actually, it's a new nonprofit that Sunset Zoo, Friends of Sunset Zoo, has been really involved with um, and, and kind of helping launch. And there's a, a hardworking group of uh, board of directors for the Kansas Science Festival that's been working really on a signature event that's going to be on April 30th in downtown MHK. So 
We've been working with Downtown Manhattan Inc. Um, really closely, as well as the Manhattan Public Library, to host this event on the 30th, and it'll be along the sidewalks. There's going to be over probably 25 plus science activities that will be taking place at the library as well as on the sidewalks. We've got a number of different researchers from K-State that's going to be out there sharing different activities. We've got the K-State engineering extension that'll be there. We have um, NBAF will have a representative there. We've got USDA, Sunset Zoo will be there, IE Discoveries. So we've got a lot of fun activities that are going to be planned that are going to be Basically, from the from the Third Street on points all the way to the Courthouse Plaza, and then um, and then there'll be a solar system walk um, that will help guide you to the Manhattan Public Library with all these different activities. Oh, that sounds really neat. It kind of plays off of some of the um, entertainment that goes on on the Linear Trail as well. Kind of the uh, the also solar system themed. You can kind of walk and see in a scaled version, the distances between the planets and the like, and maybe somewhat similar to that then. Yeah, so the solar system walk is kind of like a, it's kind of more like one of those storyboard, story walks type deal that'll just be on signs that'll be placed between um, the basically the courthouse to the library to kind of guide you um, along that, just a, so that people come in and visiting downtown, they realize that there's additional activities going on in the library as well. What a neat endeavor. Um, it's always important to get kids involved in some scientific education and just awareness of the opportunities out there, because sometimes it's hard to understand exactly what jobs exist or what careers or what um, life missions you can have in science when you just look at it as in the corpus of it all as science. It can sound very broad and hard to encapsulate into a specific thing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the big missions of the Kansas Science Festival is just really increasing access to to STEAM activities. So, you know, Manhattan, we're, we're blessed with a lot of access to science and, and different things with the university here and with the different um, nonprofit, the different uh, informal education organizations like the zoo, the Flint Hills Discovery Center, IE Discoveries, things like that. Um, but there's other communities around the state that don't have that access. And so, you know, as the Kansas Science Festival, we're, we're early and new now, but as we grow, um, kind of the goal is to take and use this Manhattan event as kind of our signature event to really encourage other communities and then support other communities as well to kind of develop other science festival activities that will be able to take place to, again, just really increase that access. Because, you know, when it comes from a career standpoint, you know, I remember wanting to work for work with animals growing up and, you know, out in Hayes, my only exposure was either ran, like farm animals or a veterinarian. And so it wasn't until I came to K-State that I realized, oh, yeah, I could work at a zoo and I could do education and things like that. And so just that exposure to those different career opportunities is also very important for, for kids and for, for youth growing up, too. Yeah, my partner, Lauren, uh, she's a mathematician. So frequently these topics come up of, you know, once you actually start learning the math and get the degree, et cetera, et cetera, what do you actually do with it? And um, there's a lot of things in math, of course, but in the world of animals and science in general, there's there's a whole host of things out there you don't think about. You just don't realize that are available to you. Exactly. And so hopefully this the, the Kansas Science Festival, you know, really be able to excite some of that passion to the in the kids and, and, and get them thinking more about science and a little bit different way than just kind of in the classroom. So there'll be an assortment of booths uh, along points for this. 
Will there be a specific Sunset Zoo booth as well? Yeah, so we'll have a Sunset Zoo booth. Um, it's going to be, I think, in the fourth, uh, the 400 block area of, of Point. And um, we're going to actually have one of our, our poison dart frogs, oh, if the weather holds. Um, but <laughs> we're, we're planning on having our poison dart frogs out there and doing something, doing a science activity, looking how, you know, we look at the animal behavior and animal welfare of the animals at Sunset Zoo. And so kids will be able to engage in an activity around kind of the animal welfare and, and everything that we do to really kind of monitor that in the animals. All right. Sounds good. Remind us the day that this specific um, uh, uh, tabling event is going to be happening. Yeah. So this will be on April 30th from 1 to 5 p.m. in downtown Manhattan on Long Points Avenue. And um, you can find out more at scienceks.org. Oh, perfect. Perfect. And um, as that comes up, we look into May ahead of that. What other May activities are going on in the education world at Sunset Zoo? So right now for us um, at the zoo, it's a lot of just education school groups. Um, so a lot of school field trips have really ramped up. Um, we're we're doing programs almost daily um, now uh, with school field trips coming. And so it's really great to see a lot of the school field trips come back to the zoo. Um, we've had, again, a couple of years where the yellow buses have not been in our parking lot for, for very much. And so we're excited to see that and welcome all the school kids back to the zoo and, and lead guided tours and do ambassador programs and things like that here at the zoo. Um, and so that's kind of really what our big focus has been for or what well, it's looking ahead as well um, for May. And I'm sure you're excited to have all the folks coming back out to the zoo, especially um, school uh, students from schools and, and the like. But um, as you have more attendees, this always does add a little bit more strain in terms of staffing and your ability to uh, accommodate all of these guests. How are you all doing staffing wise before we go to break? I have to ask, um, <laughs> how are you all doing and um, how are you all able to accommodate sort of the, the increased attendance that you have? Yeah, I mean, we are hiring. <laughs> I'll just <laughs> interject. We are hiring. <laughs> We are. Yeah, we're and we're from the education department. I mean, we, we are. Um, we're, we're working fast and furious to, to meet the demand of the, the school groups and, and the birthday parties and everything going on the weekends. But but, you know, we're, we're ramping up our hiring right now for our summer camps to make sure that we're able to kind of meet that demand as well. And we have um, openings in other areas of the zoo as well. So if you're looking to be at a zoo or you're looking to explore like, oh, maybe I could work at a zoo someday. Um, we have guest service attendants that we're hiring for, horticulture specialists. So those positions um, will work at our ticket booth and our concession stand, as well as the horticultural specialists will help us keep the zoo beautiful by watering, weeding, mulching, those kinds of things that we always need. Yeah, sounds good. Let's take our first break of the morning. And when we come back, we'll talk about more things going on at Sunset Zoo. We'll also look ahead and later in the program, Manhattan Public Library and the Rotary Club. Stay tuned. In Focus, News Radio KMAN. And we're back here on In Focus, News Radio KMAN, speaking with the Sunset Zoo's Marketing and Development Officer, Melissa Kirkwood. We also have Curator of Education, Jared Bixby, here in studio. And we're going to change over conversation to be more Melissa-focused for this segment. And we're going to be talking about things going on around the zoo. But um, there was something that happened this weekend. But just for chronology's sake, let's look. Let's take, let's take a step a little bit further sure. back to Expedition Asia's unveiling. Yeah. So we have Expedition Asia is open now to the public. We had a huge opening April 9th which was a couple, well, two, two weeks ago now? Three weeks ago? Two weeks ago, I think. All the days run together. Sounds but, about right. Um, it was such an honor and such a, an 
really anticipated opening for the zoo. This is the largest project the zoo's ever encountered and, and taken on um, with Expedition Asia. And if you're not familiar with Expedition Asia, it is a brand new exhibit at Sunset Zoo in the center and the heart of uh, Sunset Zoo that focuses in on three different species. Um, we have our Malayan tiger, sloth bears, and the Amir leopard. So um, with that exhibit, you'll be able to see all three of those animals up close and personal. And when I say up close and personal, it is really up close and personal, um, closer than any of our other exhibits have had the ability to be before. Lots of new features with um, Expedition Asia. And it's just really focused in on guest engagement, um, animal engagement, and then really the reason behind uh, those species of why we built Expedition Asia is for conservation. Um, and all three of those animals are endangered. And with the, this exhibit, we are able to um, focus on breeding for those animals um, in the future and to really help save their species. Yeah. And you, you emphasize the excitement you have. And it, I'll emphasize it as well, because it's one of the projects I heard about when I first arrived here and started covering city government in Manhattan around 2018. I was hearing talk about it back then, and it's been just a long time in the making. So I, I can imagine it's I'm kind of a I'm not going to discount that, yes, it's been a long time in the making. But um, part, part of the reason it has been a long time in the making is this has been a true partnership between the city of Manhattan and private um, donations that were raised through um, our our um, fundraising arm organizations, the Sunset Zoo Trust and the Friends of Sunset Zoo, um, embarked on a fundraising campaign with private donors um, to make Expedition Asia possible. And then the other half of the funding for this $4.3 million project came from the city. So it was kind of a half and half partnership. Um, but we would not have been able to do that without private donations. Um, a shout out again to the late Chuck Jackson. He was our major donor to to really start the the process with Expedition Asia. So you'll see a lot of donor recognition throughout the exhibit because of all of that support. So it did take us a bit of time to raise that the millions of dollars we needed to raise to to make the the best exhibit possible. And I think you'll see that when you come to the zoo. Um, we are looking to embark on another large project. Um, don't you know, plan to come see it tomorrow or anything, <laughs> but it was announced during our opening. We will be focusing on our next big exhibit will be uh, focused on giraffes. So we're now in that planning process of what um, it will take to do that. Um, we hope it doesn't take another, you know, seven, eight years to do that, but um, it will all depend on um, how much the community wants to support us to do that. And it will take a lot of, of donor support to do that. You'll hear more about that uh, probably by the end of the summer as we really get all of our planning underway for that. But I don't want to overshadow Expedition Asia because it did just open and it is an amazing experience. Um, when you're walking through Asia, you feel like you're in a different place because you are when you're there. And um, we want everybody to come experience it. And you might not see all three animals all at the same time because they have indoor and exterior locations, and but they're getting used to their new living homes at Expedition Asia. So you just have to time it out right. You'll probably see all three, just maybe not all at once when you walk through. How's Phyllis progressing on that mural? Yes. So uh, that was one of my little talking points. So 
above and beyond seeing the animals at Expedition Asia, um, we've incorporated different things. So one of the things we have incorporated in the leopard viewing area is a huge mural um, that Phyllis Peace is um, now um, curating at the zoo, and it is on three panels of that viewing area. It will focus in, if you look at the mural, it's going to tell the story of the WPA project, which is the Work Progress Administration project that really helped build the zoo back in the early, like late 30s, early 40s. Um, If you're familiar with our zoo at all, we are on a very kind of steep terrain. That lower tier of the zoo is primarily built by the WPA project. So a lot of stone columns that you see in Expedition Asia are from the WPA, the original exhibit areas. And then we still have exhibit areas that do reflect that stone um, building of what the WPA workers built. So in the mural, it depicts that. You'll also see um, components like um, E.J. Frick, who is the founder of the zoo. And then you'll see some of our early animals that we had at the zoo. So it's really progressing. We really hope... um, So we had hoped to um, unveil the mural around the anniversary of the WPA project, which is May 6th. We need to make sure that, I mean, we're not trying to push Phyllis and her artistic abilities. Um, We want to make sure that she has enough time to complete it. But in May sometime, you will see the unveiling of that um, mural, most likely. And we'll make a press release about that as well. Well, May 6th would be a good day to unveil it. It's my birthday. So I would appreciate that. We'll put a bow on it for you. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Let Phyllis know. I I used to live with her son, so let her know um, that I appreciate her artwork also. Oh, well, I will definitely let her know. And we're just so happy also to incorporate a local artist with a really local theme of how Manhattan Zoo, Sunset Zoo came to be. And we think this will really reflect that. So she's done an amazing job for us. And she's like part of our staff now. We see her almost every day. (laughs) So, And I think she's got a really close relationship with Vlad or leopard because he checks her out all the time. <laughs> what What is she doing in his area? So um, that's coming about. And then um, May 7th, or wait, May 8th is Mother's Day. May 8th is Mother's Day, for y'all, if you need to mark it on your calendar. But we will have um, free admission for moms that day on Sunday. So if you haven't gotten out to see um, Expedition Asia, maybe you bring your mom out to see that. And then um, we have some other things on the horizon, too. Um Last week, Wine in the Wild tickets went on sale. And if you're not familiar with Wine in the Wild, it's one of our two primary fundraisers for the zoo, where you get to stroll the zoo, sample some wine, sample some great food. But one of the amazing things with Wine in the Wild this year, um, one, we are going back to our original kind of calendar setting. June 4th will be Wine in the Wild, but we'll have lots more wine this year because we're able to expand out into Expedition Asia and that lower tier. So we'll have a lot more wine stations. Um, We are selling tickets fast. So if you'd like to purchase, you can go to sunsetzoo.com to purchase tickets online or purchase in person um, at the zoo. But um, we have a VIP section and then we have a general admission um, section. So ticket prices have not increased for that, but wine stations have. So... (laughs) Um, more wine for the money. More the wine run. for the money. So check it out. And then uh, what else do we have going on? Uh, May 11th, we will host business after hours. 
So if you don't come with your mom or you don't just come on a Saturday, come with those that you work with on May 11th and check out um, Expedition Asia then. Um, We're happy to partner with the Chamber of Commerce on that. And as you can tell, we're doing a lot. We're doing a lot at the zoo. We're doing a lot with the community because we are the community. And we're super happy to not only explore, have people explore Expedition Asia, but really our whole zoo. And um, people get a chance to experience and see different things every time they come to the zoo. With even Party for the Planet, I heard a couple of um, dif- different attendees tell me, my oh, my son just picks a different animal he loves every time he comes to the zoo. So I'm like, well, that's awesome. So um, it's a place where you can come and explore different things every time you come. And we're, we're running short on time, unfortunately, Melissa, Jared, I always appreciate the time. But um, I wanted to give you one last opportunity to plug any job opportunities you have open and also your website for those who want to come out to your events. Yes. So if you want to come to events or you want to apply for a job, just go to sunsetzoo.com. You can click on um, apply here for jobs. And we've got multiple different positions available. And then you can also go to sunsetzoo.com to find out more about our special events. I do have to give a quick shout out to the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation for Grow Green this last Friday. Uh, Many, many people donated to our Sunset Zoo Fund, and it's going to help our chimps um, with a new outdoor play yard, amazingly. So we, and other things in the zoo as well. But we are just super, super thankful for all that donated to Sunset Zoo through Grow Green. Hopefully we get to see some video or footage of those chimps enjoying that outdoor play area sometime in the future. Sometime in the future. You'll always get to see some video of the chimps. They're not shy. (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate the time, y'all. Thanks so much. And that does it for us on this segment of InFocus. When we come back, we'll hear about the annual book sale coming up at the Manhattan Public Library on InFocus, News Radio KMAN. And we are back here on InFocus, News Radio KMAN. Thanks again to Melissa and Jared from the Sunset Zoo. As a note again, Rotary Club's Community Action Against Human Trafficking Group is coming up in about mm, 10, 15 minutes from now. But first, we're going to be speaking with an assortment of folks from the Manhattan Public Library. First, we have Head of Community Engagement, Maddie Ogle, on the line. Maddie, thanks for being here. Thank you. And we also have Book Sale Co-Chair and MLA Board Member, Annie Cook. Annie, thanks for coming. Hi, thanks for having me. Hello, thank you. And then lastly, we have MPL Board of Trustees President Elaine Shannon here as well. Elaine, great to see you. Thank you for having us. Of course. And we're going to be talking about the annual book sale. That's coming up this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, First, though, I want to talk to Maddie just briefly about kind of the history of this book sale, how long you've been participating in this this program here at the library, and um, its importance as well to the library's operations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the book sale, I've been at the library for about four years now um, and being able to see how the book sale has evolved. um, When I first started, we um, had just introduced online payment um, system with Square and being able to accept credit cards and debit cards. So that was one of the big shifts in that. Um, So it's been happening for many, many years. Um, The biggest thing that I try and communicate with people that shop the sale is um, the money raised actually goes back into um, library programming um, and different things to give back to our community. So really, um, you buy that 50 cent item, that dollar item, um, ultimately it is going to go back to um, supporting the library in different ways that we can give back to in, to our community. Um, a fun stat is always that the book sale um, typically raises over $10,000 um, just in those three days. So that's like 
you think about that and you're like, how in the world can, you know, such cheap books um, actually be able to do that? But it's been a record so far that we typically hit those double digits for um, money raised. That's impressive. I must say, you know, as you say that it seems like a lot for a small, like small priced books, it really does. It really does seem like a lot of money. It's it's very impressive that you're able to pull that off in in um, just a three day event. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the biggest things is people always ask, "How do you get your materials? Where do those come from?" Um, and a lot of that is due to our Rosie's Corner books orders, um, and so that's also volunteer based. And um, they spend hours and hours. Even this last year it was almost 800 hours, just from April till now. Um, that they donated over 800 hours of time sorting through book donations, um, things that leave the library collection that can then go to the book sale. Um, And so truly, like, you're finding the best. They try and keep it relevant material, things that are still pretty new, um, from audiobooks to um, DVDs, kids, all the sorts of stuff, that truly it ranges from 50 cents to $4 max per item. And, I mean, when I say it's a sale, it's a sale. Yeah, and I want to echo what Maddie was saying, the shout out to all of the volunteers, because uh, we don't take the staff time away from their typical work assignments and their service to our patrons. This is all volunteer uh, work in preparation for the the sale with uh, Maddie and some other, just a couple of other volunteer or staff members involved. So it really is a credit to the volunteers and to those people who help set up on Friday to get all of this ready for the the public to come in on Saturday. You might wonder what kinds of books are going to be available. There is a whole array of genre material that will be uh, sorted by tables and signage. And in the WeFall Pavilion, we are going to be able to spread out and you should be able to find the type of book that you would like. There will be uh, boxes of books that are uh, set out on tables and there will be boxes under the tables because (laughs) as the sale progresses and we have more room, all of that comes out. So we look forward to seeing everyone come and find just the kinds of books that they want. Yeah. And you mentioned WeFold Pavilion. There's a little bit of a change in venue this year. Can you talk a little bit about um, what that change is, but also what led to the change? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in 2021, um, due to the pandemic, we were not able to have a book sale. Um, and so really the area that we use in the library for to hold the book sale is where all of the soft seating from the library went to be stored in the meantime. So right now it still is pretty full with a lot of soft seating and chairs and things like that. So to move all of that out um, would be a pretty big um, task in itself um, to put on some staff members. And so um, the group got to talking and um, we are fortunate that Manhattan Parks and Rec um, in conjunction with the IT division was able to um, work with us to kind of sponsor part of that um, for us to be able to use that space and pay Um, a little bit less. Um, And I think, you know, the coolest thing with this event is even though it's a book sale, it's going to have so much more visibility and actually be in the community because the library is still part of the community, but being in this new location, I think it's going to provide an easier access point for some people to hopefully 
be able to stop by the sale. As I want to talk a little yeah, bit about the timing for this sale. Uh, Friday evening from 5.30 to 7.30 is our members event. And a member would be a person who has uh, a membership in the Manhattan Library Association. Don't have a membership right now? No problem. Just show up at 5.30 on Friday and for $10, you may purchase a membership and be able to have first selection on the books. And if you are not available on Friday evening, Saturday, the sale will run from 10 o'clock until 3.30. Then Sunday afternoon, the, oh, excuse me, my errors. Saturday is 10 to 4 and Sunday is 1 to 3.30. So come on over to the WeFall Pavilion this weekend. We also have some help this year from the Afghan resettlement team. There are a number of uh, uh, gentlemen who are going to help move the books from the library to the pavilion so they can be ready for the sale. So lots going on. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, that's how, a, did, how did that uh, arrangement or partnership sort of spark up? Yeah. I mean, we're always looking for volunteers um, for the book sales so that because once again, it is a volunteer based project. Um, and so it really was, okay, who do we know? Who can we contact? Um, and so we had all of these um, groups that we were looking at, asking questions. And Susan Adamchek, um, who is a um, big library supporter, but also um, some mutual friend to some of us, um, was able to actually organize that we could get their help because this is a new thing. We're not used to taking the books out of the library. We typically will bring the boxes, you know, just down or up a couple floors where now we're having to move them a couple blocks. So. Annie, I'm curious and it's some on heavy the... lifting there too that is needed. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, was curious, also... uh, I was curious about your perspective a little on this, Annie, um, as co-chair. Um, has there been any? I, you talk about the difficulty, perhaps, of schlepping the books over there, but I was wondering what your take on maybe some of the um, differences are in the different new venue, as well as uh, what your experience has been as co-chair. Um, so another reason for the new location is when we were planning this. Um, we weren't sure how the pandemic was going to be playing out at the time. And so to have a larger space where if the wind isn't blowing too hard, we could possibly open up one of those um, garage doors. So we wanted a kind of a sure thing where we could definitely be hosting this book sale and not have to miss another year. So yeah. between it did like you said, pose some logistical questions of how we were going to move everything. But yeah, with the help of the Afghan resettlement team, um, I think it's going to go very smoothly. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just put a plug in here. Annie has been great because um, like we mentioned with COVID, we didn't have a book sale in 2021. That's actually the year that Annie came on to officially be a co-chair and so she really didn't get to experience don't blame me for all, that <laughs> <laughs> she didn't get to experience what it is like you know but she's really came on board with you know having such a good spirit to be able to help us um come to now and this year where we're like okay this is what's got to be done this is what we got to do and she's like all right we're good we're good so you know truly 
um, just communicating that this is truly something that could not be done without our volunteers. So thank you. And we do have a, a phone call on the line. Uh, let me check to see if we have a name associated with that. We have Robert on the line who wants to contribute briefly. So Robert, go ahead, John, in focus. All the years, it's uh, most valuable books can be found at the book sale. And that's why it's important to come on Friday night and pay the $10 fee to get in and look. The family has always been uh, transferring Bibles over to those in need. And I've gotten some, of course, with guys, bigger is better, some amazing altar Bibles. Just the other day from you people, I got a three-volume in English, King James altar Bible, a very low price, very, very low price. And it's just amazing the wonderful collector books that can be found with your group. And uh, you used to have puzzles and recordings and all kinds of things. Thank you for your efforts. Thank you, Robert. We really appreciate that. And I promise we did not pay him for his testimony, but, um, you know, totally it is, um, you heard it from him. It is a worthwhile event to stop by, um, especially on Friday because, um, the memberships do start at just $10, um, for an individual you can shop the sale, Um, Children's materials typically go pretty quick because they're a lot more popular. Um, But overall, we have a lot of really great materials. So thanks again, Robert. And Robert mentioned that he acquired some books the other recently. And he probably did that at Rosie's Corner in the library. So when the sale is not running, Rosie's Corner is always a place to shop and look for books that uh, have been selected out and there might be current uh, edition or not current editions, but currently popular items. And uh, Rosie's Corner is uh, on the west side of the first floor of the library outside of the technology center. You may select your items and pay for them at the circulation desk. And speaking of the circulation desk, if you haven't been in recently, please go check out the new system for sorting and checking in books. You may also use the self-check stands for uh, checking out a whole stack of books with one, one key. It's truly fascinating. I was in there just this uh, past week, maybe even the weekend. I can't exactly remember. The days are blending together. And you get to see it all sort of uh, happening right in front of you. There's a window, a a viewing area where you can watch the books go on this conveyor belt and be sorted. It's pretty neat. It really is. And we're just about out of time here. Actually, unfortunately, there's so much more we could talk about related to the Manhattan Public Library. I wanted to give you all one last chance to plug the event or uh, make any announcements you have before we say goodbye. Well, come on down to the book sale at the Weefald Pavilion, Friday night, 5.30 to 7.30, Saturday, 10 to 4, and Sunday, 1 to 3.30, where you might find some special deals. I also want to reiterate our thanks to the Manhattan uh, City Parks and Rec and also their IT division for their help in uh, making this possible at the pavilion. All right. Maddie, Annie, Elaine, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. you. And when we come back, we'll have from the Rotary Club, their Community Action Against Human Trafficking Group, City Commissioner Yusha Reddy, moderator Sharon Sullivan are awaiting our next segment. 
here on In Focus News Radio KMAN. And we are back here on In Focus News Radio KMAN. Thanks to all of our previous guests on the program. We're going to shift gears slightly, talk about the Rotary Club's Community Action Against Human Trafficking Group. And we have in studio mm-hmm. with me City Commissioner from the City of Manhattan, Yusha Reddy. On the line, we have moderator Sharon Sullivan. Yusha, thanks for coming out. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. And Sharon, thank you also for taking part via Zoom on this talk. Yeah, thank you for having us and uh, allowing us this opportunity. And my understanding is the the virtual summit is coming up this Thursday. Um, And and tell me a little bit about um, how many years this has been going on and kind of um, the interest in this locally. Sure. So the Rotary Club of Community Action Against Human Trafficking, or CAT for short, was just chartered last year in January of 2021. And we had our first human trafficking summit uh, that April focused on what educators can do to stop human trafficking. And we are an e-club, so everything we do is uh, virtual. So this is our second virtual human trafficking summit, and this time we're focusing on what can financial institutions do about human trafficking to stop human trafficking. So we meet um, the first and uh, third Tuesday of each month at noon for an hour, and we have a program or speaker regarding human trafficking and different aspects of it. So that's how ours is a cause club, and all we do is um, talk about human trafficking, uh, sexual violence, and um, labor, slavery and labor and such. And that's what prompted us to do the second one, because there's this huge facet that's uh, dealing with the financial institutions. And Sharon, is there a theme for this year's uh, this year's event? Um, the focus on financial institutions, I think, is really important because we have not, there hasn't been a lot of focus on that publicly. Um, of course, compliance officers get a lot of training um, on money laundering and these types of financial crimes and how to keep their institutions safe. But the frontline people don't always have the access to the same kind of training. So we're really trying to offer a different perspective for those compliance officers, uh, the perspective being human trafficking and, and, and the faces behind what they're experiencing or maybe experiencing, but then also offer things that uh, frontline people can recognize and red flags and then what to do. Uh, and I think that that's really important. So when when folks learn these, these um, identifiers, these skills, these tools, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, what can then banks or people who operate, you know, banks are made up of people, what can the people within right. these banks then do to um, make change or perhaps be a little more aware of what's going on out there? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so we have a keynote speaker. His name is Ren York, and he's on the board where it's anti-trafficking uh, intelligence initiative. And all they do is deal with banking industries. So he's going to offer a lot of trainings that can take place, uh, one-sheeters for all types of areas, not just banking, but lenders. Uh, community banks, and we're going to have four panelists, one, uh, two from the Kansas Bureau of Investigation who deal with this, and a survivor who basically, sometimes with human trafficking, there's also this element of drug trafficking. So she would just take piles of cash. That was her job, was to take piles of cash and deposit it in different banks. And she was able to get away with it, and nobody really took note of it. Uh, we're going to have... Um, 
uh, Denise Lester from Rended Heart, and she works with the survivors coming out of the out of the business. And when they're trying to get reintegrated and in, back into the community, they have a hard time opening up a bank account because they've never really had an identity, and now they have felonies and all of that. So she's working on it from that side. So I think all of these things uh, put those puzzle pieces together, and we will definitely have resources, contacts, phone numbers for everybody to call and get more training for their own organizations. I checked how many people we have registered, and a great majority of them are from finance and financial institutions. So there's this hunger for that. And cryptocurrency, you know, a lot because it's international, a lot of things are done on the dark web, and cryptocurrency is a huge part of that. And we just don't think it's happening in Kansas, but it is happening in Kansas. But it's very, um, because we are the center of uh, 70 and 35, I believe. And so it just it just happens all around us, and we're trying to give access to resources to everybody. Yeah, anywhere there's um, anywhere there's a university, the, mm-hmm. there is going to be use of cryptocurrency in some illicit manner. It's just a, an unfortunate reality. Um, and I'll, I'll turn it over to Sharon briefly here on in regards to maybe what some things you also you could perhaps see um, banking institutions taking away from this talk and um, perhaps some lessons they can learn and move forward with. Well, I think one of the most important things is that, you know, human trafficking is happening in our communities and it's often happening right in front of us and we don't even recognize it. Just like the survivor that's going to be speaking, we don't know what we're seeing. And so I think that uh, recognizing, being able to recognize what you're seeing in a new way is really important. And then being able to know what to do with what you're seeing. So you see something, say something, uh, and our compliance officers at these institutions often know who to report to. but we also have to involve law enforcement because even though a person who may be breaking the law, that might be forced criminality. So, um, you know, people are forced to commit crimes as part of their victimization. And we like to think it's not happening here, but we have to think about human trafficking at the micro and macro level, right? So, yes, it's happening all around the globe and it's happening right here at our local banks, at our lending uh, institutions, in our next to our schools, it's happening everywhere. And unfortunately, Kansas is not immune. Right. And, you know, we have Homestead here in Manhattan, Kansas, and the survivor that's speaking is from Homestead. She's a graduate of Homestead. We have Rended Heart, which works in uh, Grandview, Missouri, and she deals with crisis, individuals in crisis. We have uh, three or four global grants where we are working with survivors getting back into the community. The best thing is they can come back into the community, but they can't open up their own account. Financial institutions are harder on them. Perpetrators don't have nearly the criminal record that might happen to a victim. So oftentimes they're penalized on so many different levels. But then you have bank tellers, you know, they're just very innocent folks who may need more training on how to um, find those red flags and those signs. And I think this is a conversation that we need to have and will continue to have. Last year when we had our human trafficking summit, we had Barry Wilkerson. And, you know, we have so many sex trafficking scenes that we always have in our own community, but we don't really relate it to trafficking. We just think it's a, a sexual abuse or once and done kind of deal. But there's so many levels to all of this. And the main thing is it's a $150 billion industry. And that money is going somewhere and somebody's paying for that as well. And unfortunately, we're running short on time here. 
for those who want to come out, whether they're a banking institution uh, employed or not, um, where should they go to find more information? Sure. You can go to Rotary Cat. That's our website. That's Rotary, C-A-A-H-T. Or you can email rotarycat at gmail.com, and we will send you a link. And it's, you do need to register. It is a webinar. So please feel free to contact me or go to Rotary Cat website, and there is a link for there you, for you to register. It's not too late. It's Thursday from uh, 9 a.m. to 1030. Yeah, definitely. And it's uh, it's virtual again, and it's an important conversation. So if you have the opportunity and the time, please check it out. It's a very valuable conversation. Yusha, Sharon, I really appreciate the time. Thank you, Nick. We appreciate Thank being you so on much. here. That does it for us here on In Focus. If you want to check this out archived, we have it on our SoundCloud account, as well as newsradio, KMAN.com. Thank you for listening.